morning, Southwest. I'm really excited for all of us today to hear from a really good friend. I was 18 years old when I met David Hoffner. I saw him from a distance and I said, that guy is cool. He's a dude. He's both brilliant and sweet. He's smart and he's gentle. He's a family man. And I'm glad I get to call him my friend. David and his wife Sarah live in Minneapolis. They have three kids, Owen, Josiah, and my goddaughter, Lucy. He is the executive director of Faith Formation at Minnehaha Academy, and he is a fellow at Anselm House at the University of Minnesota. Our lives co-exist, uh, in a sense, in intentional community. There are four families, and all of the wives were friends. And what's fun is now the husbands have just as deep of a friendship, and so we live life together. There's 24 of us with 14 kids. It's kind of crazy, but it's super fun. We call ourselves the Amory Crew. So today you're in for a treat. My hope and prayer for you is, uh, as I reflect on the 22 years of friendship, that you would find deep and meaningful friendships like I have in David, and hopefully he has with me. He goes to church with Dr. Carlson and his family. He is no stranger to our friends here at Southwest. Will you please join me in a warm welcome for Mr. David Hoffner. That was, that was quite an introduction. Thank you, Thor. Um, and it's really fitting, actually, to have Thor do the introduction, because my topic today, Southwest, is to talk about friendship. And I want to point you to Jesus, of course, in this message and encounter, but we got to have an excursus on friendship first. So Brian Goldie, I can't see anyone. It's very bright. Brian Goldie, thank you for the invitation. Uh, I love the work you're doing here at Southwest. Um, now I can see people. That's great. Uh, so Goldie, wherever you are, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for your work. Um, as Dr. Benson said, I do work at Minnehaha Academy in South Minneapolis. I've been there for 14 years, many of the years as a teacher of economics. Uh, economics, philosophy, and then occasionally Bible. That was my thing. And then post-tragedy in 2017, I took on this new call to be what they're titled, what they've titled the Executive Director of Faith Formation. And part of that journey has brought me in closer contact with Southwest. So you may see me again in a couple weeks. Minnehaha is part of the Teaching for Transformation journey with your school. And I'm going to be part of the visiting team. So you may see uh, this awkward teacher from MA come sit in your classes, possibly even ask a couple questions. Uh, and I'm excited for that. And I do have to give a shout out to Donnie Carlson. Uh, this is an amazing man in your midst. You should treasure his classes. Uh, I sat in a couple years ago and was blown away by the gift that he's giving you every day as an instructor. I never grow tired of talking to Donnie at church and worshiping with him every week going deeper in conversation and relationship. Some of the best dialogue in my life, Donnie Carlson, from Hebrew to humor. This guy's amazing. Where are, I can't see anybody. Where are you, Donnie? Are you in here? He's back there. Yes, so Donnie Carlson. <laughs> Amen. He's a good friend. He's a good man. And, and with Thor, I, I truly don't even know where to begin. He is my daughter's godfather. Uh, my kids all call him Uncle Benson. Uh, and I think you guys know from in this community, there's nobody more loving and serving uh, of other people than Thor. And when he decided to come to Southwest, I told him, brother, you have the DNA to be the greatest high school teacher to ever live, right? And I think he's doing it. Um, 
a Christ-like father and husband, a consummate friend. So with that, uh, the focus of my message today is friendship, which I want to offer to you as a really neglected love in this day and age. And as far as my, I'm concerned, the data show that too. Young people feel connected today, but they feel very much alone. Right? Just last year, Barna came out with some new research that said this. Despite being hyper-connected and globally minded, many young adults say that they feel lonely. Just one in three, 33% for you math people, right? One in three feel deeply cared for by those around them. Only one in three. We'll come back to that research in a little bit. But a little bit about me, I have interests, but not a ton. I have a few hobbies, not many. I've always seen it as a personal weakness that I don't have more hobbies. Uh, and the hobby king is actually Thor Benson. He does everything, right? Windsurf, uh, ski, uh, everything. The guy does everything. It's amazing. Um, and I need to learn from him. But I do snowboard. Uh, and just a couple weeks ago, I got peer pressured into a trip with some friends. I actually woke up that morning telling my wife, I will not go on this trip. These are childhood friends from Madison, which is going to be a focus of my talk here. And uh, they were texting me like, Matt, hey, there, we got a free hotel room. There's a medical conference in Denver. You've got to come snowboard with us. I'm like, I'm too busy. I'm too stressed out. I'm not going to Denver. And I wrote in my planner that day, say no to Kurt. <laughs> right? I wrote it, say no to Kurt. And then by the end of the day, I find myself in a conference call in my classroom at Minnehaha Academy. And Eric is on the conference call, and he says, so David, you're telling me you don't want to make more lifetime memories with friends you've known since kindergarten? Right? <laughs> I mean, just total peer pressure. So within minutes, I'm booking a flight on Southwest, and I'm going to go snowboarding in a couple weeks. It's one of my few hobbies. Um, but I would say that it actually relates on a couple levels. Right? I love to snowboard, but I really do value friends. Friends are an essential part of my life, a good gift from God. And I want to tell you about a friend that I had starting in kindergarten at Glenn Stevens Elementary School in Madison, Wisconsin. So a bit of context. I graduated from high school, Madison Memorial, shout out to the Spartans, in 1997. So 23 years ago, Tony and I graduated together. And we had the best memories. Right? Really pleasant, fun memories all the way. K-12, I got to attend with the same people. We endured a lot, the highs and the lows. And the reason I want to focus on Tony today, right, to give you a, an insight into this, is that two of the people that I cared most about in high school, my favorite teacher, Mr. Theobald in 12th grade, and Tony have since passed away. So a little bit more about him, Tony. I remember when we met at kindergarten and became really fast friends. We liked to play at all the same stations. We went out and played the same things at recess. And the fall of that year, I lived really close to my elementary school, and Tony walked home with me one day after school. And I remember we were sitting at the kitchen table sharing food, and my mom was asking Tony questions. And he said he has an older brother, Bernie, who would beat him up, and an older sister, Danielle, who would torture him. Right? This is what he told my mom. And um, she asked for more details. And later that day, when his mom came to pick him up, we were all standing on the front porch. And I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. My mom is talking to Mrs. Caputo. And she says, so I understand Tony has two older siblings. And Tony Quick is behind his mom going like this, like, no, Mrs. Hoffner, do not say anything right, about what they do. 
And my mom and Tony laughed about that for years. But who would have thought at that point that Tony's life was almost a quarter over? I remember Tony coming to my birthday parties and beating up on my church friends. You can see a picture. I have some photos to share with you of the two of us. Um, and in these photos, you'll see he's always right by me. So I'm, I'm the awkward kid in the pink shirt, and Tony's the one pointing with his finger like this, right? We're on the deck, and Tony was just full of life. He was always bringing the party. There's the two of us, right? And um, he was always right by me. At another birthday party, the spring game for the Wisconsin football team, if you go to the next slide. Okay, these were epic birthday parties because for free, you could go to Camp Randall and watch the Badgers scrimmage each other. And what I remember about this particular birthday party, you can go to the next slide. There's the two of us, right? We're wearing our matching Hard Rock Cafe sweatshirts. That's still a thing, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so you can see, we're right next to each other again. And this particular one, Tony would later go wrestle. He was a wrestler at UW. Um, but this one, we were harassing Bucky Badger. You guys, Bucky was defenseless. The mascots can't move quickly enough, and Tony would run, we'd distract Bucky, and Tony would run up behind him and smack him on the back of the head. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty brutal. Um, and, and Bucky had no help, right? And at this time, in the 80s, the Badgers were really bad. No one was at these games. We had a lot of fun. Um, okay. I remember other memories of Tony in childhood. I remember very vividly walking down to Lake Mendota in late winter and jumping on ice flows as we moved from dock to dock along with our friend Jeff Nichols. It was incredibly dangerous. Uh, and I remember Tony taking some really risky leaps. Uh, he was just that guy. I remember we'd sled and stand on the sleds facing each other at Spring Arbor School with the goal of knocking each other off. I remember hunting through his house in grade school to find the thing that smelled the worst. We both agreed that it was the ammonia under the kitchen sink. And I can still see his face as we would take turns sniffing the ammonia. And then, oh, that's terrible. Oh, do it again, right? We're in grade school. Fourth grade was a classic year. Here's the next picture. So we're up in the right-hand corner together. Um, this was a year that Tony, on a family vacation, if you go to the next one, Tony got a machete on his family vacation. And I remember then uh, going over to his house after this family vacation, and Tony's room was a disaster. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, I was using my machete in my room, and I hit the edge of my waterbed. <laughs> his waterbed. Waterbeds were a thing. I don't know if they're a thing anymore, right? Hard Rock Cafe sweatshirts are, but maybe not waterbeds. And so his waterbed had leaked out over the entire second floor of the house because he was swinging his machete. Um, I remember also in grade school in the same year when we would often bike to the playground near Tony's house. Uh, we did this also with Jeff Nichols, who we were jumping on the ice flows. And um, one day at the playground, Tony, it was Tony's idea, he said, Jeff and I, because they were bigger than me, you can see this in all the pictures, uh, Tony and Jeff stood on top of some playground equipment. I sat on the, the down end of a seesaw. Right? And they said, we're going to jump, and we're going to land on the seesaw, David, and we're going to catapult you. Right? This was the idea, fourth grade, fourth grade brain. Uh, it didn't work. Like, just to give you a heads up, they just hit the seesaw really hard and fell off, because um, you just can't get enough momentum when you're a small, when you're a small boy. Um, we had great ideas. It was actually the same trip home, you guys. I'll never forget it. We were all talking and laughing, and Tony biked on ahead fast. 
And then he turned around and started to tell a story, and he ran his bike straight into the back of a boat. And I remember him hitting the boat and falling off his bike. Um, we were just always having a good time. Tony was the guy who dated girls two grades ahead of us, always, in grade school. I never had any girlfriends. Um, I remember in this same year, in fourth grade, he broke his arm, and uh, he would use it to get his te the teacher's attention. He would just smack it on the desk. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Kramer knew uh, he had to talk to Tony. Tony cleaned his desk by dumping it out. Uh, the rest of us just rearranged it. He would just tip it over and dump it out. And uh, we just had so much fun together. I had a great childhood growing up with Tony. But all this while in grade school, who would have thought that his life was already a third over? So in middle school, we grew apart. We didn't see each other as much, because at our middle school in Madison, it, it was the conglomeration of six grade schools, right? So we went from a pretty small grade school to a pretty big middle school. And uh, we didn't see each other much through those years in high school, but then freshman year, we reconnected, because at Memorial, we had the same rotation every morning, history, English, science. And so it was that year that he talked me into trying out for football and playing on the football team. And uh, I enjoyed myself just fine. Tony made the heavyweight team. I was on the lightweight team, right? Surprise. He was a captain. I played special teams, um, right? But after the, so after the season was over, I thought, well, that was fun, right? I enjoyed being, we all practiced together. It was just the games where the heavies and the lights would, would switch. And I thought, I'm done with football. I've got better uses for my time. Um, and that came out one day in Mrs. Staley's class. He was talking, he said, are you gonna come to the off-season workouts? I said, Tony, football's not my thing. You know, like I had fun, but I'm not gonna do it. And uh, I'm just gonna play basketball. And he got in my face in class, and I'll never forget it. He got really aggressive with me and he called me a quitter. Yeah, and it cut deep. And I thought at that moment, he said, you're quitting on me and you're quitting on the team. And I thought, the Hoffners are not quitters, right? This is something I'm not going to ever wear that label. Um, so I went back out for the team. And I played sophomore year and junior year and senior year. And by senior year, we were captains together, right? And it was all for Tony, right? And I would have quit. I would have taken the easier path. Playing football was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. It taught me more about character than just about anything I've done. So we stayed close through high school, mainly through sports. I remember also our senior year, we did a skit together for the guy-girl prom routine, right? I don't know if you do this at the halftime of basketball games, there's entertainment. And he and I performed Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog with the pom-pom with the squad. Um, who would have known at this point, you guys, that his life was more than half over? So Tony went to UW and he wrestled. I went to Wheaton. Uh, he thought I was following a girl. I thought I was following the Lord. Um, I don't remember us being in contact really all that first year or even the following summer, but I do remember my sophomore year. During a pretty dark time in, in my own life, I got a call out of the blue from him to see how things were. Right? In my dorm room, we still had phones on the walls, and the phone rang, and Tony had called my mom in Madison. They reminisced about the porch, Right? They reminisced about grade school, all these different things, and he asked for my number. He wanted to track me down. So we visited for about an hour. We said our goodbyes, and then we said we had to get together again soon. 
Most summers in college, I traveled. I only went back to Madison once, actually, the summer after my freshman year, and we didn't connect then. So it was six years later, and I remember the date, April 12th, 2004, that I received another call out of the blue. And I know that it was April 12th because that morning, like every year on April 12th, I wake up and tell my, friend, my uh, wife, Sarah, that it's my friend Paul's birthday. I still know all my gradehood, or grade school childhood friends' names and names and birthdays, right? Um, Tony's is July 18th. So the phone rang on the 12th, and Sarah said, I don't know who this is. And we were living in Canada at the time. So he tracked me down, and it was Paul and Tony together. They were roommates in Brooklyn. And we had the most fun visiting for the next hour, hour and a half, about the past seven years. They learned that I was married, that I was expecting a child, that I was pursuing a graduate degree in theology. I learned that Tony was in New York working for his brother Bernie in human resources, but that he was discontent. He really wanted to move back to Madison and make things permanent with his longtime girlfriend. So hearing that the wheels were in motion for this, we agreed we will reconnect in Madison next Christmas for dinner when we're both back home from Vancouver and New York. So January 4th, 2005, Tony came to my parents' house for dinner and he met my wife, Sarah. He met my son, Owen, who's now a freshman in high school. We had a golden session. We laughed, we told stories, we talked politics, business, real estate, relationships, marriage, family. He told me how he hoped to get engaged soon and have kids, and how once that happened, we would all get together for a longer period of time, how we needed to get together more regularly. And he said to me that Paul and I were his longest standing friends in the world, and how thankful he was for that. But who would have known that at this point, Tony would only live for three more weeks? After returning to Vancouver, I went back to business, madly writing my master's thesis. My routine was good. It was solid. I was making progress, loving my classes, loving my work. And then at the end of the month, it was January 30th, I got a phone call from my younger brother. And he said to me, David, I have terrible news. And I don't even know how to tell you this. Tony committed suicide. And I just was quiet. I thought, that's impossible. This is the most gregarious, outgoing, fun, class president, captain of the team. This is impossible. So I talked to my brother for a while, and then I got off the phone and immediately called Paul, and I said, this just can't be true. And he said to me, David, I really wish it weren't. Later, more details would come out through our grieving and through our visiting, but that didn't change the situation. A big fight with his girlfriend getting kicked out of the house, and worst of all, the things found in his blood. But all this didn't make it any easier. Tony was someone I love and care for deeply, and we had reconnected, and then suddenly he was gone. We can't visit, we can't hang out. He didn't meet the rest of my children, and he never had any. He hasn't been and won't be at any of our class reunions. So if you didn't see where this was going all along, I want to communicate to you today what a precious and fragile thing friendship is. 
Some would say it's the finest thing in the world. Right? C.S. Lewis is one of those people, and he held friendship in really, really high regard. So I want to read you this quote at length. It's from his book, The Four Loves. In a perfect friendship, each member of the circle feels in his heart humbled before all the rest. Sometimes he wonders what he's doing there among his betters. It's like me and Benson. He's lucky beyond dessert to be in such company, especially when the whole group is together, each bringing out all that is best, wisest, or funniest in all the others. Those are the golden sessions. When four or five of us, after a hard day's walking, have come to our inn, when our slippers are on, our feet spread out toward the blaze and drinks at our elbows, when the whole world and something beyond the world opens itself to our minds as we talk, and no one has any claim on or any responsibility for another, but all are freedmen and equals as if we'd first met an hour ago, while at the same time an affection mellowed by the years enfolds us. Life, natural life, has no better gift to give. Who could have deserved it? It's a long quote, but it's beautiful, right? So as I prepared for today, why, why this message for you in this place? Over the past month, as I prayed about this and thought about you guys, I kept thinking what a great school I know Southwest Christian is. I know the caliber of your students and your teachers, but I also know what high school life is like. And I also know that we are broken people by sin, that we're self-interested. As St. Augustine would say, we're curved in on ourselves. So what I want to ask today, and maybe it's something you can talk about in your D groups, in Christian communities and in a community even as great as Southwest, are there undercurrents of jealousy and bitterness or competition? Envy for someone else's boyfriend or girlfriend? Are your friendships and relationships more often deep or superficial or somewhere in between? Are the people you're here with the people you count yourself to be honored around? And if so, do you behave that way? Or do you take for granted that they'll simply be around longer? What I want to tell you is tomorrow is not promised. Paul's word to the early Christians in uh, the book of Philippians is also worth quoting at length because it's a template, right, that there's hope in the promise of the cross, but it tells us how to live well with one another. It tells us how we could have deep friendship. So I'll read from the word of God, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Now, I've cut my teeth as an econ teacher. I've taught economics for 14 years, still teaching the AP class, and we talk about acting in your self-interest. This is what Paul talks about. The whole discipline is premised on rational self-interest. Everyone's expected to weigh costs and benefits and then act accordingly. And you guys, this has deep explanatory power in the world. We know this. But this is what's at the heart of the passage and what's so challenging and fascinating about the Christian life, but also so deeply fulfilling. We're told to have the mind of Christ, not the market. The mind of the omnipotent creator of the world, who became enfleshed, who lowered himself, not just to human standing, but to the standing of a homeless servant, who washed feet, who rubbed shoulders with tax collectors and prostitutes, who had his face spit into, and who became obedient to a gruesome death on our behalf, and who surrounded himself with close friends. I don't like the terminology of buddy Jesus, I know you've seen these things, and I'm not meaning to imply that Jesus is just like any friend, but what I am trying to tell you today is that by his life and death, by the promise of the cross, by his willing sacrifice of himself for others, right? Greater love is no one than this than to lay down your life for his friends. You are promised the power to be free from slavery to yourself, to your image, to your reputation, to your status, and to your power. Genuine freedom. You're liberated to love and serve your friends, to love and serve the people in this room, to cultivate deep and meaningful relationships, to think and dwell on deeply good things in your classes, and to be together in the midst of grief and hardship, in the wake of tragedy, to both love and to grieve, to laugh and cry, this is where the finest satisfactions in life are gonna be found, in learning to love the truth, learning to love what you can't lose. Because if you love yourself, you're ultimately bound in the end to lose that too. So you may be asking, but this posture of humility is towards everyone that we encounter, right? This isn't just our friends. And I agree, yes. Empty yourself and serve everyone you encounter. But all the same, cherish and never neglect your friends. I'm going long. Never fail to spend time with them. Never fail to laugh with them and cultivate a meaningful bond with them, to inquire of their feelings and listen to their hopes and dreams, and to call them to account and love when they're off. The gifts of friendship are evident here at Southwest. I know this, I've seen it on my visits. And for those of you who lack friendships, I pray that meaningful bonds will be formed here, that they can be lifelong bonds of care and friendship. And I'm confident that your number is better than one-third who feel deeply cared for, but my challenge for you, Southwest community, is for all to be known and loved. So if there are past grudges that you have, bitterness, jealousy, rivalry, unhealthy competition and friendships, I want you to be freed from it. Leave it at the cross. Be thankful for the presence of the others in this room in your life. Don't wait another day, because with Tony, you have to realize tomorrow is not promised. You genuinely do not know the last time you'll see and connect with the people you love and care about. So having thought a lot about Tony, someone I love and care for, I challenge you to tell your friends today how thankful you are for them and to make a concerted effort to love and serve them.
to put their needs ahead of your own and to give up any petty grievances or suspicions and cling to the certainty of Christian hope. True friendship is selfless, and it's going to see the image of God in those you're around. It's how Tony and I loved each other, considering each other more significant than ourselves. And when we celebrate with friends, we do so in the recognition of the feast to come. And when we grieve with friends, we grieve with hope, knowing that one day all things will be made new. So Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this community. I thank you for the friendships that are here and that are evident. And God, I pray that you will bind this group together to love and serve one another in new and profound ways. And for the kingdom impact from Southwest to be immense. Lord, we pray this knowing that you are good and you are faithful and true and that in you we have the true freedom to love and serve one another. We pray this in the name of our Lord, Savior, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage, www.swchs.org. Click on Student Life and Encounter. Again, thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep your eyes fixed, not on speakers, teachers, or institutions, but on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith.